Welcome to another exciting episode of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Caleb Walgren, and I'm joined by the man, the myth, the Tennessee volunteer legend. That is Sean Morgan. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm flexing right now. Unfortunately, the uh, listeners can't see it. As soon as you said uh, Tennessee Vols legend, I am I am wearing my Tennessee orange shirt uh, right now, and I've actually got a uh, a beautiful Tennessee scarf that's hanging up on my wall. Uh, I get to look at it every time we record. So, Well, I'm repping the green and gold today, like I do on many days. Uh, but here's some of the things we want to talk about today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, some general headlines that have been making the news and the NFL schedule that was released. Uh, we're we're merging a couple segments as well. We have this day in soccer history for May 13th. Uh, some really exciting stuff, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to kind of put two and two together there. Uh, then we're doing an NFL career throwback to someone that was in both the NFC North and the NFC East. A little teaser there. Uh, then we're going to look at, uh, I came up with the first team AFC East. We did the NFC East last week. This week it's the AFC East. So it'll be interesting uh, because I'm pretty sure that if I have some bad picks that Sean will call me out on them and that'll be fun. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, jump in. Let's take a look at some headlines. Uh, before I start with these NFL ones, let's go ahead and just hit the, the big one that's out there. Tennessee Vols recruiting. Woo! Bringing in star after star after star. Uh, Sean, c- can you tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about all that? Uh, I mean, obviously I'm feeling great. Uh, I think that it's a real turning point for us as a program after some very, very uh, poor press, I would say, poor uh, poor news for us in general. I know that the Vols have been kind of a a laughing stock, the brunt of many, many jokes in regards to our coach hunt and kind of the whole champions of life five-star heart uh memes that that came out from butch and it's just it seems like we can never really snag a like a winning moment and this really feels like a winning moment for us and there's a great article on 24 7 sports that kind of goes into some of the success that pruitt's had in recruiting and why talks about how he uh, he came from a, a very like thorough high school coach background, um, was a high school coach for, for many, many years. It's allowed him to develop some relationships um, and understand kind of the mentality that you have to have to be a winning high school football coach um, for some of these better programs. So uh, all in all, it's it's been a great, uh, great run, and I'm hoping that it translates into a lot of success for us. Uh, as I will say, you know, he's bringing some Pruitt power to the, the Rocky Top. So uh, definitely will be exciting to see them, presuming, of course, things go as planned for this fall. So um, Knock on wood. That, yeah, that being said, let's go ahead and get to some more exciting news. Uh, Monday Night Football is going to have some new hosts this coming year. Um, we're not going to have the excellent commentary of Booger McFarland, who says things like, uh, he just says a whole bunch of really, really I weird mean, things. so, so 
for all of you NFL meme lords out there, know that Maddenisms were kind of the thing early on in the internet era if you were a football fan. And, you know, it's the, yeah, you're going to catch a pass of 10 yards and that's going to be a first down. It's like, thanks, thanks, Madden, for telling us, you know, the obvious. But Booker did it in a way that wasn't nearly as endearing, right? Um, for Madden, he just sounds like a, a, a kind of like a bumbly old fellow who gets caught up too much in the excitement of what he's saying. Um, Booker just would sometimes straight up sound like he's saying the, you know, most enlightening thing that you've ever heard. And it is complete and utter nonsense. And you're just like, did you just, did you really just say that? And he would never really acknowledge it either. He'd just keep on going. It's like, what? What? I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I think that um, him and Testatore were were a good-ish combo. I don't think they were inherently, like, awful. Um, At times, they bordered on being unlistenable. But I don't think they were atrocious and, you know, like, I'm not going to completely throw them under the bus. But it is going to be nice to see some fresh blood, uh, fresh faces. I don't know who they're going to bring in, right? It'll be curious. Uh, that, that'll that definitely be curious. Because who has, it's, it's ESPN, right? Oh, who of course. Has, yeah, so... Are they going to bring in one of their own guys, right? Do you want to hear some Orlovsky play-by-play or, or, or color commentary? Like, I, I think don't... That they're going to have to find someone that's a little bit different. Um, um, Lewis Riddick might be one of the people that is underrated. I, heard... I would be okay with Lewis Riddick doing some color commentary. Um, maybe you get Trey Wingo doing play-by-play. I don't know if he does play-by-play, but that'd be an interesting combo. Um, one thing I do have to say, just to, you brought up Madden. Um, I, when I played Madden, I remember the phrase, he flattened him like a pancake. That was, that was very John Madden-esque. Booger would be like, you know, when you put a guy on his back, when you're an offensive lineman, that's when it's a good block, like a pancake. Like he just was very roundabout and not very clear but very, like, I have 20 seconds of time that I need to fill with my comment. <laughs> Let me tell you the most basic thing that you could possibly know very slowly. Anyway, let's look at the uh, some of the highlights from the schedule release. Uh, we are 120 days out from the NFL opener where the Texans are playing the Chiefs. Uh, I picked one other game that opening weekend that I thought could potentially be a more exciting game, uh, the Bucks at the Saints. Uh, so the question is, did the NFL pick the right opening game, even from the opening weekend? And how many points do the Texans need to score as far as a lead in order to feel comfortable being ahead of the Chiefs? Um. I mean, I think that it's the right opening game. Uh, I mean, it's a – I mean, you got the Super Bowl winners going against – I mean, arguably a team that is one of the, you know, I would say top six-ish, seven-ish teams. 
maybe-ish? I don't know. It's tough, right? I mean, they it's, it's not like they, they completely crapped the bed in the playoffs. They only, you know, kind of crapped the bed after a minute. So I think it's a, it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be an interesting game. I did want to, if we're going to talk about the schedule, though, I, I do want to interject on something that I think is very important, right? So this season, the Washington Redskins, the Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Giants have a chance to achieve one of the rarest and most prestigious titles in NFL history, and that is called winning the bird gauntlet. Now, some of you might not know if what the bird gauntlet is. Uh, and this is a shout out to uh, to r slash bird teams, one of my favorite uh, football subreddits. So the bird gauntlet is where you have to play and beat the Eagles, Ravens, Cardinals, Seahawks, and Falcons in the same season. All right. So based on the scheduling that came out, the other three teams in the NFC East will have an opportunity to face the bird gauntlet. We will see if they emerge victorious. I don't think they're going to. Uh, is there such a thing as going over against the bird gauntlet and it's got like a, a great nickname of like bird beat down or something like that that we can come up with? Because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. I mean... I guess they uh, we have to think of what uh, what birds of prey would would you know like go after. So maybe they're like field mice. They win the field mouse award. Excellent. Uh, the next one that I want to highlight here on the schedule is on December sixth, possibly the biggest game of the year. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are playing the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the game was great last year, except for the Packers lost. Uh, yeah, that was the great part, right? Uh, Alan Lazard wasn't around yet, and Devontae Adams basically went off against the corners that you no longer have, and that is why the Eagles said, hey, we need to get some corners. Darius Slay goes against Devontae Adams twice a year and doesn't give up like 200 yards like we almost did this game. <laughs> so he's a little bit familiar with, uh, with dealing with, with some of your guys' personnel, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the other thing I want to highlight is uh, we have a odd Friday Christmas game this year. Ooh, uh, yeah, Vikings at Saints. And I feel like they picked one with a lot of recent history that's going to be really fun because you have the last time they played each other, the Vikings beat them in the Superdome in the playoffs. And everyone kind of had a, did Kyle Rudolph push off on that touchdown? I thought it wasn't a big deal. And then, of course, you have a couple of years prior to that, you have the Minnesota Miracle, where Stefan Diggs threw his helmet like 400 yards after he got open on the side of the line and went off for a touchdown. So we see a team where the Vikings have been hot, but they're playing in the Superdome. And you take two teams like that, they could have a lot on the line in what is probably week 16 or 17 of the season. Yeah. Probably week 16. That's usually around where Christmas falls. That will be an interesting game. I mean, it's always the Saints that are in these, you know, like these quote-unquote refs decide the games type of games, right? It, it almost seems like there, it's very rare that you see, at least in the NFC, any other team involved in some sort of, 
you know, heavily criticized and scrutinized situation. So uh, I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the over under is on there being some sort of big, you know, big scandalous event or uh, ref decision for that game. Right. I don't know. If nothing else, I think it'll be interesting because this is basically a shot at the NBA. Uh, they're they're coming and they're putting a game. I think it's at three thirty. Christmas afternoon, they're saying, yeah, we know that you're going to have some games in that spot. We don't care. We're going to put Viking Saints, which is an excellent game, not to mention they have some Saturday games going on in December. Always a good time. Uh, in general, uh, football, please come quickly. The 120 days until Texans at Chiefs is way too many days. You know, and with everything that's going on, scheduling is going to be an utter nightmare once things are resumed anyway. And there's going to be a lot of stepping on each other's toes. So I don't think there's really going to be a clean way to handle a lot of this. We're probably going to see some back and forth between, you know, the the NFL and pretty much everybody else. Um, actually, I would say everybody and everybody. So it's just part of the territory now. I think speaking of that, there was someone when the schedule was released that was like, these are the games that are going to be going on in the NFL the afternoon of the Masters final. And it's like, that sounds really awkward. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what we're looking at potentially this fall. If we missed out with a sports spring and summer, we're (laughs) trying to have a bonanza of sports in the fall and winter of this year. And that is, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that it will happen. It's going to be nuts. Uh, thankfully, we don't have too much uh, crossover of golf and football fans. Um, there's, they're there, right? I'm, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to 300 seconds of soccer history with Sean. All right. So there are two things that we're going to talk about. Um, the first is the Manchester City winning the Premier League on goal difference back in 2012. Now, if you're a fan of the beautiful game, then you already know exactly what this match was about. It doesn't need an introduction, doesn't need an explanation. Now, if you're a burgeoning fan, so I'm talking to here, let me share with you one of the greatest moments in football history. Manchester City winning the league in 2012, which was their third ever and the first time they had won it in 44 years. Now, let me paint the picture because this is very important. Manchester City was behind Manchester United by eight points with just six games to play left in the league season. By the time final match day rolled around, they had closed the gap and they were dead even in points. But goal differential was the tiebreaker. United and City, equal on points otherwise, City had the tiebreaker. So they just needed to have the same result as United in order to take the league. Now, during the final match day, all 10 games kicked off at the same time, so nobody could know the result mid-game or the impact of any matches, so it could sway you know, decisions or emotion one way or the other. Now, City needed a win over Queen's Park Rangers. They were fighting relegation that year. Um, so fast forward during the match, City's down 2-1 from the 66th minute on. 
Queens Park Rangers had only 10 men. This was par for the course for City, right? They had come close a time or two before, but really they were, you know, considered a um, team that never got the job done, could never pull the trigger when it mattered, right? Now, meanwhile, elsewhere, United had beaten Sutherland and took a 1-0 victory there. So City had to win this match, right? They needed two goals at that point to seal their first league win. Heading into stoppage time, City was still down to one. Now they were dominating possession, they were firing off goals, but nothing was going through. You could see the spirits breaking in the crowd. City fans were, were just you know over themselves. They could not believe that their opportunity was slipping away. Um, elsewhere, United was already celebrating once they realized that City was down two nil heading into stoppage. So heading into the 92nd minute, it's no more than five minutes of stoppage time. Eden Dzeko nailed the equalizer for City, putting it at 2-2. Now momentum had begun to shift. You could see it in the crowd. You could see it in the players. Um, there was just like a palpable energy, right? Three minutes into stoppage, one of the most beautiful moments you will ever see in any game ever. Mario Balotelli pass to Sergio Aguero, beat his man, scored not only the game-winning, but match-league-winning goal in the very final minutes of the final game with absolutely everything on the line. Please, please look this game up on YouTube if you've never seen it, specifically the last eight minutes. Um, if it doesn't bring you to some sort of emotional rile, then I don't know if you're as big of a sports fan as you think you are. <sighs> Makes me want to go watch it after we're, after we're done recording. Um, the other one is, you know, arguably a little bit more important to me. Um, but uh, 2018, uh, this was Arsene Wagner's last game managing uh, Arsenal Football Club. Uh, he had managed us for 22 years. In that time, he completely revolutionized the game for, for English football. Um, his focus on scouting and training allowed us to bring in talent from around the world at a fraction of what the other clubs were paying their players. So we were able to get amazing talent and field amazing talent without having to, to bust our transfer budget for it. Um, we were able to market our club around the world. We're now one to consider one of the top five fan bases worldwide. Um, clubs over worth over $2.2 billion. Um, during his tenure, Begner won seven FA Cups and Community Shields, three Premier League titles, made it to the Champions League final in, in 2006, won over 700 league games. During the latter part of his career, he had kind of become a target from fans who felt that his best days were behind him. Um, with global scouting now commonplace and clubs' budgets now astronomical for the top flight, like the top echelon clubs, uh, his approach to bringing in players really no longer kept us where we were in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, we had a very rough season in 2017-2018, 13 losses, totaled our largest amount under Wagner like in his career, and we were knocked out of the FA Cup in the third round for the first time in over 20 years, so it was very rough. Um, Last game was a 1-0 win at Huddersfield. That was actually our lone away win for the entire last half of the season. Right? We hadn't won since, I think, Palace in mid-December. Um, it was a very bittersweet moment. And, I mean, honestly, I, 
I think fans are going to look back on how we handled the last part of his career a little, um, I don't know what a good word is, uh, with, with some sorrow and I think some regret, but easily the best manager we've ever had um, and one of the greatest managers of all time in the sport. Uh, and that is my six minutes of this day in soccer history. It's okay. Uh, you got some extra stoppage time there uh, to go. <laughs> yes. To go with uh, the Man City story. Uh, we will be going ahead and sharing that on Twitter this week at Brody Talk. So make sure you follow us for uh, all the great things that we have there. We have random polls. Uh, we say good morning, whether or not Sean likes it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's an all around good time. How dare you have an alert pop up on my phone from from our Twitter account? That is unacceptable. No, that's where you can go and harass us. You can harass me. You can harass Caleb. Um, I mean, Twitter is the platform for for all things harassment. So. Absolutely. Uh, that being said, we're going to go ahead and open up our NFL career throwback of the week. Let's hear about Rex Grossman. Sexy Rexy. Throw that 60-yard bomb. Let's hear it. We are not going with Rex Grossman. <laughs> Man. Uh, we are going with, uh, I said, a quarterback that has played in the NFC North and the NFC East. Um. He didn't really play a ton in college, but he has, let's see here, 166 NFL passing touchdowns and just under 30,000 passing yards. He is a Super Bowl champion. He, uh, based off of the current divisions, he also would have played in the NFC South, and he actually played for two teams in the NFC East. But none, neither would of which is Sean's. Uh, Sean, do you have any guesses about where I am at with this right now? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I should know. Um, Super Bowl winning, right? Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Hang on. I think I, think I know this one. I think. Just let me see. Let me go ahead and go. Never mind. It's, he did play for us. I forgot. So keep going. So we are talking about the legend that is Brad Johnson. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that was – see, I'm sitting here thinking for a second there. I'm like, okay, what, what, what teams – you know, I, I, at first I'm like, well, where, where did Mark Ripien go? Like, didn't he – did he play for an NFC North team? And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, he played for us for a bit. And then, uh, no, he didn't. Okay. Wow. Brad Johnson, let's hear it. Let's hear about Brad Johnson. I'm, I'm excited. So – Brad Johnson was a Georgia boy. Uh, That's where he was born. And you didn't hear much about him when he was coming up. Uh, He went to Florida State and played for Bobby Bowden there. But in general, he just wasn't a big-time starter. Uh, He was usually behind other quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, If you look at his complete – college career he has a total of 249 passes for 1700 yards 14 touchdowns and nine interceptions and you're like wait why are we future super bowl champion right there (laughs) that being said he got drafted in the ninth round 
They don't even have nine rounds anymore. <laughs> the ninth round of the 1992 NFL draft. Eat your heart out, Tom Brady. By the Minnesota Vikings. He was picked 227, so he was later than Brady. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Brad Johnson, it was really kind of a fun look back. And part of the reason I wanted to look back is uh, we had talked about the Tampa era with Tampa winning that Super Bowl when they changed their jerseys. And I was like, man, I cannot remember much of anything about Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson started his career as a third string quarterback for the Vikings behind quarterbacks that you would know, Rich Gannon and Sean Salisbury. Ooh, Sean Salisbury. He, uh, he hosted BattleBots. Remember BattleBots? Just... <laughs> yes, I love BattleBots. <laughs> So consistent, consistent backup for his first couple of years. Um, he became, uh, they, they brought in Warren Moon in 94. Moon was the starter over him. And he, he broke in, got some playing time that year, but still not a lot of anything happening that year. The next year, spring of 95, he went and played with the London Monarchs of the World League. This is how weird this gets, because we definitely don't have a w world league anymore. We definitely don't have London Monarchs with football. Uh, but he goes over there, tears it up. Uh, when I'm looking at this, it says he had over 2,000 passing yards, and he had the most completions of all world league quarterbacks that year. Oh, Europa. And then he started... Eight of 12 games in 96. Uh, he One of those stats that he's really well known for is his passer rating. It is actually the 37th overall passer rating for a career, which I thought that was interesting that it's highlighted that well. Because, like I said, people don't necessarily think of Brad Johnson as someone who was that elite. And he kind of has this journeyman backup starter role. You know, he so he finally got the chance to start for the year in 97. So this is like five years into his NFL career, finally starting. And they're eight and four, six game winning streak, season ended neck, neck injury. He's out. The next year, is, he was still with the Vikings. It's the year that we all know about. It's the 15 and one season. It's him and Randall Cunningham as the starting quarterbacks. And they literally switched back and forth during the season. And it's crazy to see what happened. Like Cunningham got hurt with his knee. Johnson was playing and then hurt, like broke his thumb. All of a sudden Cunningham's back in. They named Cunningham the starter after the year. And they traded Johnson to the Redskins for a first, future second, and a third round pick. That year with Washington was his best year. He threw for over 4,000 yards. Crazy good year for him. And then he he didn't have as good of a year in 2000, and they ended up letting him go. And they let Jeff George become the starter for the team. Good old Jeff George. <laughs> so instead, Tony Dungy brings him in, because Tony Dungy used to be an old Vikings guy. And brings him down 
to Tampa Bay because that's Dungey was still the coach at that point. During the Super Bowl year in 2002, he had 22 touchdowns and six interceptions, just over 3,000 yards. Uh, he was out a couple of games that year with injury. And even after that, he didn't – like he started all of 2003, barely played any for Tampa in, 0- in 04, went back to Minnesota and was a, a starter there with – Culpepper between injuries. And then he finally ended his career as a backup to Tony Romo uh, in Dallas. So you kind of get that full circle journeyman quarterback, Brad Johnson. A couple of other fun things I just want to throw out there. Do you know who Brad Johnson's brother-in-law is? Oh, Former coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Mark Rick. <laughs> oh man, what a what a brother-in-law! Right, and he has a son who is an NCAA football champion, as he was on the roster this past year Ooh. with the LSU Tigers as a quarterback. I think he might be like third or fourth on the depth chart, but hey, Max like Johnson, father, Brad's son, like father, like son, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, that is your NFL throwback. Do you have any any thoughts you want to throw in there? Yeah, I mean, you forgot. I think the thing that uh, that I remember the most again, something to go look up on YouTube. Um, Brad Johnson throwing a beautiful touchdown pass. To Brad Johnson. Absolutely, I did forget to get that in my in my mentions there. Uh, so many crazy things to talk about, and just happened to to bypass that one. Um, definitely, because when I was thinking, I almost went Dilfer because I was like, "Who's the most maligned quarterback of the Super Bowl era?" And I was like, "If I say that, everyone's going to go Trent Dilfer." Like yeah. a Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Like no one gives Dilfer any respect. It's all about that Ravens defense. But Brad Johnson actually had some pretty respectable years. It just was kind of intermittent and hit and miss. And you go, he's a quarterback that played until he was 40 years old. He was drafted in the ninth round. Like that's yeah. <laughs> some ridiculous stuff right there. No, he had a, he had a solid career. I, I think that, I mean, he did make the, the Pro Bowl a couple of times. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like he was like complete and, and like total, like I want to say total garbage, but I mean, Dilfer was barely the starter, like when when they won. I, I think if I remember, didn't he end up having to? I forgot who their quarterback was that he had to fill in for. Um, was Tony that Banks. Kyle Bowler? Okay, no. Tony <laughs> Kyle Banks. Bowler came afterwards. Tony Banks. Um, yeah, because I remember he was uh, he was injured. Um, and then Dilver kind of had to fill in for him and yeah. So. so I do have to throw this out there because in 2003, he won the NFL's quarterback challenge competition. And I have to mention who he went up against because it's hilarious. He, he beat Pro Bowl quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Matt Hasselbeck, Jeff Garcia, Mark Brunel, and Mark Bolger and others like Byron Leftwich and Joey Harrington. <laughs> Good old Joey Harrington. What is Joey Harrington doing in that conversation at all? 
I mean, he was a great quarterback, right? He uh, he led he. I mean, he led the uh, Lions to. Um... Yeah, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna pause for a brief moment, and we'll be right back with the first team AFC East. Welcome back to Brewery Sports Talk. And if you are a fan of the Bills, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 the Patriots, or the Alabama Crimson, I mean the Tua, I mean the uh, Dolphins, we have a segment for you. Uh, this is all about the first team AFC East. Uh, definitely filling this out, I felt like it was very blue and red. Uh, lots of Patriots, lots of Bills, uh, sprinkled in with some Gotham green and some teal. Uh, but let's go ahead and start with everyone's favorite, the specialists. I really felt like there was a returner that stood head and shoulders above everyone else in this division, and that was Andre Roberts. Um, he's done a lot of good things. Uh, he was really great for the Bills last year. And interestingly enough, before he was with the Bills, he was with the Jets. So he brings a lot of things to that side of the game, and he's been doing it for quite some time. Uh, you probably remember him from when he was in Washington as well. Um, it just it just seemed like a really easy choice at return. Oh, yeah. I mean, Pro Bowl alternate uh, had almost 900 yards returning the football. Uh, Bit of a journeyman. I mean, he's been in the league for a minute now. Uh, to go ahead and hit the other specialists here, we've got Joe Cardona from the Patriots as a long snapper. I've never seen any issues when they're snapping it back to uh, the man who used to be Steven Goskowski. Uh, you know, special teams are, yeah, I mean, you know, Belichick's going to have the best <laughs> long snapper that he could possibly find. True. Uh, we also have the Dolphins punter, Matt Hawk, from Arizona State, consistently giving an average of 40-plus punt yards. And, of course, he's getting the practice in there uh, because the Dolphins were not good last year. <laughs> and then we have uh, – I went with Sam Ficken doing the kick-in for the Jets uh, as our place kicker. Uh, did you have any – any issues with those four selections? So two things. One, uh, shout out to uh, to Lieutenant Joe Cardona, um, who is a lieutenant in the U.S. Naval Reserve. And no uh, no offense to uh, Sam Kickin' Ficken, but I think I would have gone with uh, Stephen Hotchka from the Bills. Uh, I mean... He is, uh, I think, in like the top 15 for accuracy in NFL history, the course of his career. Um, I mean, the Bills relied on him a tremendous amount last year to get the job done when Allen and the offense stalled. So I, I feel like that's maybe the only swap I would have done. But other than that, we're, we're gold. That's fair. I... I don't have any qualms about that. 
Um, let's go ahead and we'll move, like we said, we're going from the secondary, we're going to move over through the lines, and then we'll get to the specialists on offense. Um, one thing that you will definitely notice throughout uh, this defense is that it is a bit of an odd formation. It is kind of a 3-3-5. Three, three, uh, most of the teams in the AFC East do run a 3-4, so I wanted to stay fairly true to that. Uh, but there's just too many good secondary players in the division. And that's really highlighted by the safeties. Uh, the first one that I have is Devin McCourty of the Patriots. My goodness. I feel like he has been there for all of his career. Uh, well, he has been there for all of his career. But I feel like he's been there almost as long as Brady. But it only goes back to 2010. Uh he just seems like he's everywhere on the field. I don't have any ways to not have McCourty on this list as a safety. Uh, and we're going to put him back there with the man that you keep hearing rumors about, whether they might be trying to trade him or not. But he's on the Jets. It's Jamal Adams. Um, he doesn't have a lot of interceptions. He only has two. But he – is a really good at he's got several deflected passes in his career and he's a tackling machine which is what you typically want out of your strong safety yeah i was going to say um, i mean that's the supposition where you put your hitter uh any any thoughts about those safeties uh would you have taken any different directions no on my list i had both of them right there um you're you hit the nail on the head with mccourty i mean the patriots secondary was something to be absolutely feared last year. And he was a crucial, crucial part of that. Uh, then we go ahead and go over to cornerback. And you can understand when we get to receiver later, why it's kind of a sad sight for receivers because these cornerbacks are legit. Um, the way I ended up breaking them is I went with Tredavious White at one, which is probably really tough because you also have Stefan Gilmore, who is also elite, and I had him as my number two. I probably went with White higher just because he's a little bit younger. I think he is an up-and-comer, whereas Gilmore has been doing this for since 2012. Former Bill, now Patriot. You know, people like to stay in that division. And, and then I finished with one of the Dolphins that made the cut, Xavier Howard. Uh, no offense, Byron Jones, you haven't played any games in the division yet. I know you got <laughs> paid a ton of money, and the Dolphins have two really good corners, but I felt like Howard was the the better selection. Uh, I know he was hurt a little bit last year, but when I look back at 2018, his seven picks in 12 games. I felt like he, he deserves to be on this list. No, I, I agree. I think for the three corners you picked are, are fine. Um, I mean, it is tough to put, like to exclude Byron Jones from that list, but at the same time, you know, when corners get that big contract, they usually have a bit of a dip. And so we'll see, you know, coming from from Jerry World, whether or not getting paid may have a negative impact on his production. Um, 
but I mean, Byron's also never been a a very pick happy corner either, right? I think he only has like two or three interceptions for his like entire career so far, and he's played like at least half a decade. So I think your selections are right on the money. Uh, to, to move up to linebacker, I'll, I'll highlight the two inside linebackers that I picked. And the first one that I have is none other than Donta Hightower. Again, if we're talking about players that have been on the Patriots for thousands of years, Donta Hightower is also included in that. And let's face it, he can blitz. He ended last year with five and a half sacks as a middle linebacker. He consistently gets tackles. He has shown up in playoff games. He just seems like he is a little bit of everywhere. And especially as they've switched out different people at linebacker, Hightower's the one that's been there the whole time. The other one that I have is C.J. Mosley. I know he was new to the division last year, only played two games before injury. He still had a pick six, and if the Jets are hoping to turn anything around this year, they they need him for a full 16 games. I'll go ahead and hit the other linebacker and give you a a moment or two to comment, um, because it also will sound like I picked someone from the Patriots, but he's not on that team anymore. It is Kyle Van Noy. Uh, the outside linebacker. It's going to be interesting to see him reunite with Flores in Miami. But at the same time, I'm kind of curious because I feel like the person who's been getting all of the former Patriots is Patricia, Patricia Pat in Detroit, uh, where it basically feels like New England West. Uh, and Kyle Van Noy didn't go there. He went to a team that definitely seems like it is more invested in a rebuild, and it'll be interesting to see what he does there in the coming years. Uh, any thoughts about the linebackers? Uh, yeah. Um, so I thought Dante Hightower made sense. Uh, Van Noy made sense, I think, that had uh, Jamie Collins stayed in the division. You may have had a little bit more of a – reason to have shifted to uh um to a three four uh i don't know about mosley um i think tremaine edmonds um was probably at least for me um the the better uh better linebacker um i mean it's it's hard because we're going you know essentially the 2020 you know afc first team afc east and you look at, you know, Mosley is injured, whereas Edmonds, you know, had a fantastic second year in the league. So I, I, it inches kind of above, but I mean, I don't know if it's like that crazy of a, of an inclusion um, to have Mosley over, but I would have probably gone with, with Edmonds. And, and I think the tough thing with trying to pick Edmonds is it, it, it is a little bit of an apples versus oranges pick. Buffalo is the only team in the division that runs a four, three. And so when you see a middle linebacker, they're the guy that everyone's usually funneling people towards. And so yes, Edmonds is doing well, 
but that's somewhat the system that it's supposed to be. It's. So you gonna penalize the guy for it? I mean, I I just felt like with it being a three four, and Mosley versus Edmonds being debatable, I went with the one that has been in the three four more. That's fair. Then we're moving to the defensive line where we have players that haven't really been in the three four, but <laughs> we went with them anyway. Um, on the outside is Shaq Lawson, who is also a new Dolphin. Uh, he came over from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you'll see this: the 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 built the Dolphins are taking people from within the division and putting them on their team. Uh, Lawson and Van Noy. That'll be an interesting combo. You might see them on the same side. Uh, and then I went with two Bills, uh, Mario Addison, who just came over from the Panthers, and Ed Oliver, who definitely felt like he was a bit of a steal for the Bills this past year when he slipped in the draft. Everyone thought that coming into last year's draft, he was potentially one of the top players. No one took him. He landed to the Bills. I want to say that was at nine. If anything the person who we might be able to say that about next year would be if Isaiah Simmons blows up for the Cardinals this year, it would be a similar story where you're like, man, that guy played crazy good. And why did those teams pass on him? Cause everyone was hyping him before the draft Ed Oliver would be in a similar boat. Uh, did you have any, any thoughts or differences there on the D line? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose your take on Ed Oliver is fair. Um, cause I mean, I thought that, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Lawrence Guy. Maybe. I mean, so, so, I mean, my thing, at least with the AFC East is you look at just how good the Patriots were on defense. Right. I know a lot of that really was, you know, the linebacker core and their secondary, but it's not like their front line was terrible by any stretch. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's sometimes it's tough to rate those, those upfront guys, Ross, you know, on raw stats, but um, maybe that's the only one I would, I would say is, is reasonable. Um, I know that uh, I think Danny Shelton left the Patriots, right? Is yeah, he no he's not there him? anymore. Okay. Um, so uh, who else was on their line? Um, Simon? Is Simon still? Yeah. So I, I like I said, it's it's tough because um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to throw too many Patriots on this team. But I mean, they were they were the best defense in the NFL for a good stretch of time and arguably remained a top three defense in the league, top two defense in the league um, heading through to the postseason. So yeah, I mean, those are, those are my thoughts. Uh, let's go ahead and go from the defensive tackle to the center. Uh, I went with, I feel like I keep saying new to the division a lot, um, but I went with Mitch Morse, uh, the Super Bowl center from the Kansas City Chiefs this past year. I felt like he was a great add. Anytime you can get someone who is winning in the playoffs, I don't care what position it is, 
you know, more people that want to win. And Morse does a great job. I feel like Patrick Mahomes typically not under pressure. Josh Allen is at least as mobile, I think, as Patrick Mahomes. So I think Morse is a good addition to the inside of the Bills offensive line. And then at, at guards, I have uh, two Patriots, Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason. Felt like just a bit of a, a no-brainer, and it kind of showed me some of that strength the Patriots have. You know, they consistently can run the ball, can pass the ball. They're going to be able to do whatever they want to do. And it makes me wonder if people are or maybe throwing too much shade on the 2020 Patriots because their line really is strong and they really do have a lot of talented players elsewhere. Uh, just to finish out the line, at offensive tackle, I had Isaiah Wynn of the Patriots and Deion Dawkins of the Bills. It's always a tough one to, to do the line because you normally don't want to hear those names called if they're doing their job right. It's it's also tough because some of the people that I may have had on here previously uh, left the division. I know uh, the Patriots had the that offensive tackle. We may have mentioned him last week that was on the Giants. Like his name is not coming to my head right now, but he had been great for a lot of years, and then they just didn't pay him, and he went to the Giants. Like some of this is off-season transition. Nate Solder, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. And I mean, it's a it's a shame too that um, like what happened with David Andrews, and I would say that if he, um, I mean, I haven't heard any news about him because I mean I know he was on the season ending like he ended his season with that pulmonary embolism, and I don't know if he's announced whether or not like he's returning to football. Um, so you know, I would I would arguably put him as like on field the best center in the division uh maybe i mean his backup um i think it's ted karras or ted cross uh, actually did pretty well um but uh i don't know maybe the only other other player i mean i like your line i, I think your line picks are you know again again on the money uh Maybe to to give a shout out to an Oklahoma boy, uh, uh, Cody Ford. It was close. It was close. Um, uh, I can tell you this because I knew I had read something when you were bringing it up. Uh, he has announced he's cleared to play in 2020, mm -hmm. and that he does not believe the blood cots that cost him that season last year will be a recurring issue. That's good. Um, I wonder, wonder if he's going to be the starter. I'd imagine so. I mean, like I said, I know that, that you know, Karras filled in pretty admirably back up, um, and I think he's still on the Pats roster, right? Or did he stay? No, he's on the he? Dolphins. Oh. Speaking well, of then. <laughs> people going within the division. Stay in the division. <laughs> stay in the division. Um, I feel like I've said that. Either new to the division or staying in the division in a different team. What you about know, so fifteen so, times of the so players me, we've gone over. So here's the crazy thing, right? That doesn't happen in the NFC East, right? It's like, no, we want you not to be in this division. 
go away, right? And the only time they ever stay in the division, right, is if there's some hate, there's some spite toward the other team. It's like, you know what? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see about that. You know, you're going to have to see me twice a year. I don't know. It's just it's just funny. It is funny. Um, let's go ahead and go to the receivers. We'll go outside on the line before we get into the backfield. So I started with a newcomer to the division. I went with Stefan Diggs. Uh, we already brought him up earlier in the podcast from the Miracle in Minnesota. The Bills gave up a ton of stuff for Stefan Diggs. And they're going to need him to show out. Uh, I believe this is the Bills kind of saying that they're going all in on winning the division uh, from the Patriots this year. They were within a game or two this past year. Josh Allen has to raise his game a little bit as well. But Diggs, John Brown, I thought John Brown was great last year, very underrated. He might have made this list if Diggs hadn't come in and stolen his thunder. Um, Cole Beasley, there's there's a lot to like about the Bills receivers, and I just feel like Diggs. You're you're gonna the only reason you might not see him do well this year is because he's going to be facing Stephon Gilmore and Xavier Howard and some of these elite corners that we've already been talking about. He's going to be the person that they go, hey, why don't you shadow him across the field? Uh, next. I went with one of the men who's been most consistent, Julian Edelman. I mean, I I know that he's arguably considered like a slot guy, but slot guy. I mean, super reliable possession receiver. I would say a better version of a Wes Welker at least healthier staying on the field more. Um, I know we are in Oklahoma, so saying things negative about Wes Welker is not a good Sacrilege. Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one that I have is actually Devontae Parker of the Dolphins. Uh, I felt like Parker was a player that for many years was basically considered a bust. Uh, we never really heard anything about Devonte Parker after he got drafted there in the first round and last year it was like some Fitz magic happened and all of a sudden he was able to to do things on the field that we hadn't seen in previous years turns um, out the guy throwing the football is pretty important I mean it says that he started 14 of the games last year with 72 catches for 1,202 yards and nine oh, touchdowns. Better than I thought. Yeah, it, I it's a lot better than I had thought until I kind of was doing the research. And you'll notice I said three wide receivers. I'm also going two running backs and a quarterback. I didn't really feel like there was a tight end that stood out from the crowd. So Parker is my my additional threat at receiver i figure you give me an option to have another 6-3 receiver it's almost as good as having a tight end no um, i i would agree i mean the until you mentioned that about parker i had him off my list i had dig settlement and uh, you mentioned it before I, I thought john brown um like I, I think the bills have equipped themselves offensively to be able to 
not only challenge for the division, you would have to argue that heading into this year, um, they are going to be the favorites in the division. And that's going to be a very, very interesting target on their back, I think. Um, we're going to see how they handle that pressure. It's easy to, you know, market yourself as the as the underdog, you know, you're the uh, you're the scrappy boys who are going to try and make a challenge at the the mighty Patriots. So, you know, the the Patriots have, you know, have fallen ish. So we'll we'll see. But I, I thought John Brown was um, like has had a great has had a great year uh, last year, and I would expect him to repeat. Uh, he was he bailed out Allen many times. So, but yeah, Diggs and Edelman were, were, I think, I don't want to say no brainers, but were, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward choices. John Brown, do you know where he went to college? Uh, did he go to John Brown? No, uh-huh. he went to Pittsburgh State, go Gorillas. <laughs> uh, it's a small school in Kansas. A lot of people know about it around here. Uh, let's go to running back, which might arguably be one of what I feel is my divisive picks uh, there. Uh, I went with Le'Veon Bell. I feel like that was a fairly simple pick. Um, just reputation. I know he didn't have the best year last year, but I also think that their O-line is, was really bad. As you can see, they've brought in multiple people to address that position. And... While I do have people like Devin Singletary available, I've got the former Eagle Jordan Howard available. I went ahead and uh, you could argue his teammate as well, Sony Michelle, but I went with James White. Uh, I've just seen James White do too many good things in football games. Um, probably the most of which being that 28 to three comeback against the Falcons. He pass catch out of the backfield. He can run. He's very underrated in what he can do. And part of me putting him on here as a second running back, I was like, you could call him a pass catching back. You could call him, you could line him up in the slot if you wanted to. I mean, I I think that James White is, in my opinion, he was the second best running back available. Um, any thoughts about Bell or White there, Sean? Um, I think when fully healthy uh Devin Singletary is probably the best back in that division um but it's tough because I don't think that he is the the focus of the Bills offense by any stretch um I mean, when healthy, he had a he had above of a, a five. I think it was like five point one, five point two yards per carry. Uh, I know he didn't, you know, see pay dirt a whole lot last year. Because um, there, I think he was out for like about three or four games. Yeah. Uh, but it's tough, right? Because I think that, you know, White. You're right. He's a, you know, he's that uh, old Brian Westbrook esque type uh type of running back which i love by the way like no shade toward white at all whatsoever i absolutely love uh running backs who can show that they can catch the ball out of the backfield um on those short little dump routes but 
maybe i mean when when bell's motivated right uh like i said i have i have singletary on my on my honorable mention list but you know you do you you do you i think part of it for me is i want more time for singletary last year was his first year i know that uh gore is out of the way uh they also have tj eldon and zach moss they just drafted moss so they might I, the, buffalo does more of a stable and a lot of teams in that division do a stable bell is really the only consistent sure. three down back that's there and of course they brought in the ageless frank gore to be his backup this year uh i think it'll be interesting to see uh bell and gore together uh, they also drafted michael p ryan so the jets might be going to more of that stable look we'll have to see what they end up doing i mean so maybe there's a little bit of bias here right because i remember going uh last thanksgiving um over to the uh house of my my girlfriend's grandparents and their entire family are full of cowboys fans right so we're watching the thanksgiving game against the bills and we see that touchdown pass that that uh john brown threw actually um to singletary and (laughs) the smile on my face Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of bias. There's a little bit uh, for that beautiful, beautiful moment. I hate you, Dallas Cowboys. And I, I will say in general, I thought people were down on the Bills a lot last year. They are a strong team. They are a team that is a threat. I think they need to cut their teeth a little bit in the playoffs. So I don't know if I would say they're a Super Bowl contender this year. But I would definitely say if they can play well this year that they might be one in 2021. And and that brings us to our final position, the quarterback position. And you guys don't care who I pick, so we'll go ahead. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I felt like this was probably one of the trickiest ones because we don't have quarterbacks that are proven dynamic quarterbacks. Uh, with Brady leaving. Okay, so there's Jarrett Stidham for the Patriots, and they signed Ryan Hoyer. And people are saying, oh, yeah, Stidham will start. I mean, if Stidham looks horrible in the preseason, Belichick's not going to do that. He's going to go with a guy who's known the offense and Brian Hoyer. Uh, you could look at the Dolphins and say, Fitzmagic was great last year. And I go, can I really pick a guy who I think might get pulled partway through the year? For Tua? I mean, he's, what, 39 now, I think? 38, 39? He is older, that is for sure. Um, maybe we can get Tua to get him a Hawaiian lay to wear to a press conference. I think more more Ryan Fitzpatrick dressing like a much younger man at press conferences. I, I would appreciate that. Um, that being said, then you get to to the same draft class between Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. And I I went with Allen because he's, he's done more in getting his team wins. And you could say Caleb 
Darnold is probably better. I don't know. Allen, he's he's run when he's had to. He's got a strong arm. There was a pass that he threw to John Brown, and I don't remember which game it was last year, that I was like, oh, he's throwing it here. And then all of a sudden it was like, this pass went 40 yards down the field to the sideline where it was caught. He juked a defender and went into the end zone. And I was like, whoa, dang. And, I mean, I watch a lot of football. I don't do that with quarterback arms very much. Is he a little bit unpolished still? Absolutely. Does he need strong weapons around him? Who doesn't? I mean, other than our quarterbacks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're Carson Wentz and Aaron Rodgers, you can have Caleb Walgren and Sean Morgan to throw to. I mean, it d- doesn't matter. We, you, right, you you're going to be able to do it. You mean if you're Jalen Hurts and Jordan Love? <laughs> Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> That being said, Josh Allen rounds out my list. Um, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you put the wrong Bills quarterback there. Uh, I believe number 10, my boy, William Jacob Fromm, should be, uh, should be uh, our, our field general for this team. Uh, no, Allen was the easy choice. I, you know, and you said it before, no, no disrespect to Sam Darnold. Um, I think Darnold's in a much worse situation with the Jets than Allen is with the Bills. Um, Darnold's asked to do a lot more, and I have a feeling that uh, it's – this is really we're going to, where we're going to see whether or not Darnold can step up. Uh, the AFC East is in you know turmoil, so to speak. Um, but you have the Dolphins who are arguably have, have rebuilt themselves better than the Jets have. And I know that when Darnold was there, like when he was healthy, uh, the Jets had a winning record, right, last year. So what what are you what are you expecting out of you know out of Darnold relative to Allen? It's tough. Um, I think Allen now has the better weapons and we're going to see a much better quarterback. I think it was in comparison, the easy choice. Uh, Allen's got an arm man. he's got a powerful arm. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does this year. It will be intriguing if nothing else. Um, I will say uh, hashtag Miss Travis note. Uh, Josh Allen is a far better fantasy quarterback than he is a real life quarterback, just because rushing touchdowns are worth more points in fantasy. And Josh Allen gets those way more than most fantasy quarterbacks. Uh, that being said, next week, we're going to the NFC North. So get ready to see Mitchell Trubisky being the quarterback Oh, wait, Nick Foles being Nick the quarterback. Foles, there the you team. go. <laughs> I mean, he should be I the starter like... anyway. <laughs> uh, whoever Kirk Cousins' backup is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I will, I will be doing our NFL career spotlight, and I won't tell you the player, but I will give you a hint. Um, it is going to be a wide receiver. This wide receiver played – uh, I would say the most notable part of uh, his career was in the mid-2000s. 
uh, and uh, he has seen Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl playtime. I won't tell you as to whether or not he won, but uh, he's he's seen uh, he's seen time in Super Bowl. Played for quite a few teams as well. So, if you have guesses, feel free to send those to us on Twitter at Brody Talk. Uh, we do want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, this is going to wrap up our episode, and uh, you all have a great day.